This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome everyone to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I've now commandeered Carm's booth again, speaking yeah. from yeah. 2023 Apex in Las Vegas. I found some stragglers walking around the show. I saw you and you were begging for them to come in here and do a show. No, no. no I nothing. saw there were chairs and I went, yeah, I need to sit down. <laughs> That's all it was. No, I was begging Scott Mann and he blew me off. This is what I had. This is what I could get. There's a B team and then there's a C team. <laughs> and we're the D we're team. The D team. <laughs> <laughs> so you fit right in with me and my show. I have a good friend back on yet another episode, Rich Falco of CTI Training. And if you've never seen him, I can't recommend you enough to not see him. I mean, I said that wrong. I meant to. You have to see this guy. You had it right. You have to. You had it right. And another good friend, Isaac Riddell of WTI and Auto Rescue Tools. Yeah, we're here for a while looking good time. <laughs> Take a second here to thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Napa Auto Tech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutoTech.com and click on the Napa Auto Tech class calendar link. All right, thank you guys for joining me. Anytime. How have the classes been? Good. Did everybody yeah. stay awake in your class? I only, I only, I only lost one. So that's a. How many were in there? Two. One. <laughs> only two. You have a class on apps. Yes. So, yeah. And not appetizers. We're talking about like phone apps. <laughs> yeah, phone apps and attachments. And if people saw our body type, they would think it was uh, appetizers. Yeah. <laughs> the assumption is that yeah, it was appetizers. But no, I did a class on on phone apps, and a lot of shops treat the phone like it's this great distraction, and sometimes it's the best tool you have in your hand. Yeah. So. Oh, by far. And it sounds like you and I share a similar perspective on the ASC Renewal app. I don't know if you caught the episode, but my rant sounds very familiar to what you were saying. And I'm not accusing you of anything. That's not the direction I was going with. (laughs) But that we share the same sentiment, that this is a big misunderstanding with those signing up for it. They think of it as a test only and exam only. Yes. And it's not. No. And it's, that's literally the first step I talk about in the class is this is not a test. It's there to introduce you to things that maybe are outside of your normal experience. Right. Exactly. And that's the whole point. And, yeah. and you get that question and you get it wrong and I've got some wrong. And then there's a description of the question and an explanation and links to training yeah article so it's a way of learning and we both share the same opinion that it's some of the best entertainment that you can have on your phone by by reading the comments right or wrong it's one of my favorite past <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that's a good thing have you been presenting uh here isaac i did not present this year i am here to look at new high voltage tooling and the high voltage category and see what products and uh, diagnostic equipment are here for the future and what the future holds for battery reconditioning as we transition to an electrified powertrain. Did you hear that? It was almost like he wrote that. It's right right on the table. Well, I, I got a guy, I found a guy who could write it all on rice for me. So I have my entire spiel right the, here. Same guy who was blessing me and I thought he was just a good dude. And then he wanted money. Yeah. Got but it. I did see Isaac walking down the aisles with his orange gloves on. I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie. He never wears those gloves. I don't wear gloves. There's, there's actually, there's a good picture in one of my classes. I have a animation. My security camera caught me rebuilding a Prius battery. My mom stopped by while I was rebuilding a battery and I got very distracted. I had a metal wristband for my watch and metal tools in one hand. Went and wasn't paying attention, looked the other way, went to make a connection. Big arc flash security camera caught it. So it's now in the class. 
This is what happens when you but come to But you made the connection. That's what counts. I made the wrong connection. Well, all right. <laughs> Perfect case study. Details. Details. Stress testing. I've, I've had uh, high-voltage gloves for years, and I've never used them. So the high-voltage gloves, I'm, I share a different opinion than OSHA. Yeah. I believe you should be educated enough not to need your high-voltage gloves. Yeah. I believe that if you understand the system that you're working on, there's not. If you know that you're safe and you've measured everything correctly and you do a live dead live test, you have no need for gloves. A lot of the European manufacturers and European training, when they brought it to the U.S., they had to add gloves to become OSHA compliant with their training because they have a different education system. They have different beliefs in what a technician does and how you become a technician, and especially a high-voltage technician. They have licensing for high voltage. And so if you haven't taken a... Of course, you can't even change oils or rotate tires or be a lot porter for a high-voltage vehicle without having some type of training. So what you're saying is here in the U.S., they go, here's your gloves, don't die. Right, well, I mean... <laughs> well, now, don't forget the hockey stick. Now, I do appreciate something about that because the reason that we have gloves is because what's the most American thing you can ever think of? It's a dad and their child building a car in their driveway. That is not something that happens in a lot of the rest of the world. And that's what brings us to DIY parts stores, parts availability... Retail parts stores, all of, all of that comes from the American mentality of if you own it, it's actually yours. And so it's a double-edged sword there. Right. And on a lot of these vehicles, maybe not so much the late ones, but a lot of the older hybrids, the most dangerous thing to do was take the safety plug out. If there's even danger in that. Well, right. And, but it's a big <laughs> if. But I'm thinking like the Priuses, if somebody was in there before and they took that one little panel out by the fuse and you don't know it, you can reach in. And get nailed. Oh, yeah. Right? So that ends up being like the most dangerous thing is blindly grabbing the safety plug. Yeah. And, and I, make, mean, it's, I haven't been shocked by that one yet. I can try real hard when we get home, though. I haven't, but a friend of mine got tagged and somehow didn't get tagged hard, but somebody else was in there and it was a safety plug on, a, I think, a Gen 2 Prius. When they popped it out, there's a like a small panel to a fuse, a legitimate like shotgun fuse Yeah, in the safety oh, plug. Oh, oh, they took but that off. The little plastic shield, uh, if you will, okay. was gone. Yeah. And so when they reached in, he didn't make full contact, but he was close enough to get smacked. Oh, yeah. So then it's like <laughs> they altered the class a little bit to be the safety gloves, maybe something to put on when you pull the safety plug. That ends up being the most dangerous thing. Okay. Unless, of course, you're being absurdly negligent while handling. It's me. <laughs> with a wristwatch and with a wristwatch, uninsulated tools and uh, having a conversation with somebody else looking away from the battery <laughs> while working on it. Every single one of us in our industry is we completely forget just how dangerous things are until something goes horribly wrong. Absolutely. There's a lot to be fun to have in re battery reconditioning and playing with them. I mean, I'm a firm believer that everyone should buy a Gen 2 Prius with a bad battery once in their life. And you try own and them all already. We so get them. Everyone <laughs> is supposed to buy a Gen 2 Prius unless you live in Durham, North Carolina. Then they're all mine. I've not reconditioned entire batteries, but I've repaired. I think I'm up to about a half a dozen all Gen 2s. I thought about doing, I think it was a Tahoe, but they're essentially the same. They are the My same. My research was don't. So I can tell you why. With the, with the, with the Tahoe hybrid, what it is, is to move that large vehicle, they push those cells to extreme lows and extreme yep. highs that will never happen in a Toyota platform. Yep. But they use the same prismatic cells from Panasonic and Toyota. Now it's called Prime Earth is their company that's their joint venture. But if you take it apart and you put in more used modules, it may not even make it out of the test track. But now there are lithium conversions available for them. So if you need to repair a Tahoe hybrid and the transmission, the rest of the vehicle is worthy of doing a full repair, you can now get a lithium conversion for it and you won't have the same issues. Because when you do these lithium conversions in these nickel bubble hydride vehicles, it operates in the, the Goldilocks zone, if you will, of the lithium battery. So it never pushes it high or low. 
and they should have very long-term reliability. Nice. Training on it, a little bit of stuff out and what I would say are reliable resources, but it ended up Isaac was a terrific resource in that because I was getting ready to charge the battery, uh, just one of the cells. Oh, right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I had it all set up and I had a fan, but I didn't have the battery in any kind of a compression state. And he's like, oh, you may not want to do that. So it saved me from that. But yeah, I think I'm about half a dozen. It's nothing to brag about. What's the longest that one of the last? I've yet to have any return. So they're going, I mean, we're talking years. The last one I did was a few months ago, but the first one, that's, man, how long? That's got to be like four years ago, five years ago that I did. And it's, it's still going. You balanced it well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but did you use my hack method to balance it with test I, lights? And Well, I didn't know it was yours at the time. <laughs> but that's how I tested them. I, I took a headlight and a, a voltmeter and I bounced down. And the bad ones are bad. It's pretty easy to find yeah. the bad ones because right. they're chemically damaged. You're going to find a difference and you're going to, if you know the battery chemistry, you can look at it and you can go, well, that voltage says it's chemically not recoverable. We're done and just move on. Yeah. And when I was talking to you about it, I was telling you about this test, kind of embarrassed, right? Because I'm he's going to tell me like, yeah, well, you probably should get this or do that or use your scope or whatever. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Okay. I just got to do this and get one of these and one of these chargers will work. And yeah, you're set, man. And point a fan at it. It was freaking awesome. The fan's the one thing I will say. You, you do need good ventilation because just blowing it at it. I've got some great pictures. My sister blew her battery up because her and her and her ex, they, I taught them how to balance their battery and do the dirty balance like I, I taught you. Yep. And they, when they went to charge it with the hobby charger, they just stuck it in front of their window unit. So it was just blowing air at it, but it was not moving it through. Oh, so man. they ended up blowing a hole in two modules directly in the battery during their initial test drive. My sister oh, calls me, oh, she goes, oh. there was a loud bang. My car is full of smoke, but it's still running. I said, well, go. Keep going. if it's still running, drive it home. If something's bad, there's smoke coming out of the back it's probably time to pay a profession. <laughs> and uh, I love my sister, but she's a coupon chaser. But I found a shop in Portland. I believe they're called Atomic, but they are a Prius specialty shop and they took care of her and they did an awesome job. Nice. I went and I called them. I talked to them and I was like, oh, these guys really understand these vehicles. They stood behind and they said, oh yeah, we use factory Toyota batteries and stuff. And I was like, boy, I'm smitten. Charge my sister whatever you want. She already was cheap. Make it hurt. And then shortly after that, she let it run out of oil and she ran Windows 2.0 through the block of her Prius. So then I had to find her somewhere to put in an engine. And I those guys weren't the guys to put in an engine. She needed the mobile mechanic engine kind of guy. She wrecked that one. And I said, save it. Her and my brother both have Gen 2s. They live like six miles away from each other in Portland. I'm not there to fix it for them. I said, save it. It's got a brand new Toyota battery. It was just wrecked in the front corner. The body's trash, but everything else is good. You got a brand new engine. Both of you own them. No, she sold it to the shop and then bought another Gen 2 Prius and I needed a battery. And I just kind of laughed. I went, well, lesson learned, right? It should be. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, and before we get on too much of a tangent, we have to have a question answered that I'm sure is just burning with all the listeners is, does Power Probe have a high voltage battery system? <laughs> I don't know. But I have seen people jab the wires with a power probe before. <laughs> and and it was the last time they used that power probe. <laughs> Which is a good thing. <laughs> Look, man, if I, as a mobile guy, if I could hand out, I think it was Patrick Masters that told me this. If you could give out power probes as Christmas presents to all of the shops that you service, you are guaranteeing future service. The oh. number of times that I've watched a tech in a shop roll his eyes as I walk in the shop holding a test light and a multimeter. And he's like, Dude, why don't you just ask me? I can give you my power probe. I haven't touched that crap since I got the power probe. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, that's why I'm here. 
The power probe with the proper setting and education behind it is an incredibly powerful oh, tool. It's a great tool yeah. in the right hands. But with untrained and a five volt circuit in place on a Honda, I promise <laughs> I'm replacing an ECU. You know, it's a power probe, such a great tool, but it has some training that's necessary. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, that sounds like a sales pitch. It is. I love the tool. What they really need is to get a, a small group of real techs that have ideas and talk to them and come out with the power probe we need. Well, and I feel like the power probe's already there. I mean, look at like the voltage chart tra that they give for fuses when you buy yeah. it and all the other stuff that they give you. But what is the number one lacking skill for our industry? Reading comprehension. Yeah. It just needs to be a moment or pause. When, when you hit that button, the power probe should go, are you sure? That's, that's <laughs> kind of how I feel the same about silver bullets. Like I love, I didn't fix. Absolutely love it. It's been a phenomenal resource, but I feel like before you give me the silver bullets, you should make a prompt that says description and operation beforehand. Yeah, RTFM. Read the freaking owner's Oh, phone. yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. I wasn't going there. I had to state that's what it stood for in a Mercedes repair order because yeah. the dealer, I just wrote RTFOM and handed it back. And the customer saw that and went, I know what that stands for. And I got in a little <laughs> bit of trouble. <laughs> that's funny. I'm like, well, if you knew what that stood for, you should have read the owner's manual because you wouldn't be here complaining that the radio volume changes based on the speed of the car. But you know what the first thing I did when I bought the car? I threw the manual away. Yeah, of course. Well, it takes up a lot of space. Now it's a downloadable PDF. So Hyundai sends you a tablet with a Genesis now, right? Right. And right. I wish they'd send the dongle with the tablet. It's just the ones <laughs> that have reading comprehension skip the part of the reading and they're in the same spite place with blown modules or blown fuses and then going down a rabbit hole because you have a blown fuse that you blew yourself and then hours later you replaced the fuse you blew and then you have to really diagnose it and or you gave up and you brought in a mobile guy who then put the fuse in the right spot. I was having a funny conversation with some of the shop owners last night. We were talking about ATEX and mobile techs and all that. And I was like, look, every shop does not need an ATEC. Most shops do not need an ATEC, nor should they Try and afford one. You need a solid B-Tech. You can take a good C-Tech and turn them into a B-Tech and just someone who's driven and then call in your mobile guy. Why do you need to pay somebody a deep six-figure salary to be a Diag guy if you only have two Diags a week? Just pay the mobile guy. I promise it's way cheaper. And it's a subcontract. You don't have to put them on your insurance or anything. They're insured already. $500 a Diag or less sounds way more affordable than a deep six-figure employee that needs to be an R&R &R guy that doesn't want to be an R&R &R guy anymore. Otherwise, you have to designed the shop to bring in that type of work. So it's not a couple of diags a week. Like mm -hmm. you, you have to make a concerted effort to fill that position. Right. I mean, and it's just to try and employ an ATEC. Now, if you have 16 plus techs at one or two or three locations, you may have a mobile guy internally and that's going to work great. But if you have a shop with three guys and you're not already set up to be the diag shop in the area or anything, take what you can do that you can confidently do and be profitable and just say, hey, the mobile guy's actually here to help. They're not here to take money away from you. They're, they're here to compliment your business and make sure that you guys can turn out the work without having to send it away. If you call in a mobile guy, you're still keeping it in your bag. Yes, it's a sublet service, but it's still in-house. Yeah, I mean, and they're not still out there advertising that they're here, here, and here doing all the work. No, I mean, there's a reason I had, when our van had signage on it, I had a couple shops say, hey, can you not bring your van with signage here? So I went back to running out of a Prius and they're perfectly happy because I just pull in a bay and I look like a customer. We don't wear marked shirts or anything like that. We're completely incognito. Same with me. No logo in the van. I have a logo on my shirt, so it just says DOD. So that could be anything. From the government, I'm here to exactly. help. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, my guy, Zach, is like, yeah, I work for the DOD. Diag on demand, not, not Department of Defense. 
I love it. I love it. That's great. I learned my lesson because when I sold my shop, it was named Falco Automotive and that hurt. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm starting another business and I ever sell it or move on to something else. I don't have to look back and go, ah, oh, that used to be mine. I can just It's really it hard to find a Falco to sell a shop to. Uh, yeah, How many I'm Falcos just... <laughs> are there in Jersey that you can sell a shop to? <laughs> I was to? <laughs> the last until my twins were born. Yeah. But to even add to that, just thinking around many of the shops I know locally and extended, there's not a lot of techs that want to be the A-tech. It's not it really tough, comes no. down to it. They don't want to be. It's the worst guy to be in the shop. You're punished for being good. In a lot of instances, that's the way it is. There's a guy doing brake jobs all day long, and the Diag guy is on that car that somebody left a fuse out of for four hours. The Diag guy, his day doesn't end there when they punch up and go home. No, it's, it's like the, the shop owner. It, it haunts your mind all night long. You're like, oh, I mean, what did I miss on the car? What's coming next? Or, or your chat group, or you're just researching, you're going to training. Sometimes paying it for it out of your own pocket, calling, talking to somebody about your day that's also a Diag tech or probably a mobile tech somewhere else. And you're on some messenger chat that dings your <laughs> phone 800 times a day. <laughs> Look, there's a reason my Facebook notifications have been off. For, I mean, I think we're going on seven years now that those notifications have been off because there was that one chat that we were all in. And there was a time where we had 1,500 messages a day in that chat. Yeah, that's insane. But as far as the ATEC stuff goes, your pay structure has to be set up to support that technician. If oh, you need yeah. them to be an hours turner, your Diag tech should be a break-even tech at best. They're there to mop up. As you'll find on my business card, they're a senior or junior custodian. Right, right. Cleaning up the messes. Yeah. Right. It's not their job to make your shop profitable. It's their job to keep everyone else profitable. I agree with that. And then if it's going to make it profitable, it's going to be more indirectly in that the reputation of the shop, like you're saying, they're cleaning up everyone else's messes, keeping them very, the other techs profitable and productive. That's also improving the reputation of the shop. And it's, it's hard to track. It would be hard right. to associate it. But in the back of your mind, there's got to be a certain percentage of the tech's contribution to the shop, specifically the Diag tech, if you will. That's almost marketing. And in the back right. of your mind, it's marketing. Right. It's branding. Everything, everything yeah. that that tech does is just there to reinforce your business. Yep. You say mop up, but when I think of mop up, yes, there's going to be some cleanup. But if you have a shop with a large volume, okay, so they're just your regular diag tech. So they do every single vehicle intake. Okay, so you run out of work. Don't ask them to be an r, &R guy and go pull a transmission. Have them run every single diag that comes through and do every single vehicle intake process. Yep. Have them be your master DVI guy. And if they're really good at diag or whatever and say you're out of diags and everything decent. Those DVIs that he's doing with that expert eye will pay for everything that you're paying for him just with the upsells he can do for the other technicians in the shop. I'd yeah. love to see if somebody's implemented something like that through all the coaches and everything. I'd love to see if someone has implemented a structure into some of these MSOs. Carm, you would know better than us. We need to start talking about that. Let's have a discussion. It's, you know, it's but one of the worst things that every shop or a lot of shops do is the DVI goes to the lube guy or the yep. new guy and you just know no matter how good he is, stuff's going to get missed that a more experienced tech would catch. So absolutely, it's, I mean, it's I, a good point. And it would be interesting to see because several of these coaches are so deep into the numbers and they've probably tracked several of these shops. Some of these shops are with coaches for years. Yeah. And so they can track their metrics really easily. And then you add that tech in, make a pay structure for it. I think it'd probably have to be an MSO to start. But if that pay structure was there and a coach help them with the numbers, I think you can actually quantify what you were just talking about yep. because you would have the data to back it up. Yep. I mean, everything's measurable. It's just, are you gonna, what are you going to do to do it? Well, and the other the, thing the is- effort is, and the systems. And well, we've been trained to measure a direct ROI. This is an indirect ROI, like you yep. were saying. So how do you measure an indirect ROI? Do you look at your total gross? Do you look at your net? That part, I don't know. But I know that if your pay structure is set up around production, you've already lost if you're hiring a diag tech.
For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa Auto Tech training available near you. Napa Auto Tech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Auto Tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Auto Tech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. Some shops, they hire a Diag Tech and their sales go down. Part sales specific. Oh, yeah. Drop. But for all the right reasons. It, it is 100% all the right reasons. But they see that dip and it's almost like that J-curve you're talking about in a different episode we did with Craig O'Neill that you make this hire and things have to settle in, change, evolve. Everybody's kind of got to figure things out. But the, initially there is a big drop in sales or parts sales specifically, but it affects total sales as they're selling less parts, maybe a little more, more labor, but it doesn't necessarily offset until things start catching up and you realize you're not selling a needed part. And then you have the uh, reputation improves, part count goes up, average tickets start going up, and then you're shooting past that ceiling that you initially had. It, you're burying it. Yeah, but it was nice doing the parts bomb. It was easier initially. Well, it's hard for a lot of shop owners to see past that. That They look at average RO of one tech and then the next one and go, why is he three times what you are? Well, because I'm only selling the parts the car needs. And and you're not selling diag time the way it could be sold. Yeah, that's it, right. There's a way to do that. Yes. That could mm -hmm. offset that. more. Yeah, And definitely. the productivity, potentially the productivity is going to improve. You're going to be able to maybe do two, three or four more a week. If you focus instead of just parts bombing and then didn't fix it, you're and in this didn't fix it cycle. And if you have that good Diag guy, he can call the right parts and pass it off to somebody to install the right parts. And, and then it makes that whole shop work. Well, and that's it. If you, if you streamline your intake process based around the technician's talents that you have, it makes a difference. Now, I'll pick on myself. I was a terrible shop owner. I entered this field in December of 08. What jobs were there in December of 08? There was nothing. So I ended up owning a shop with about 16 months of professional experience, but I was always decent at electrical. I was never a great R&R &R guy. So when I hired techs, I looked at R&R. &R. I only paid flat rate, but I paid high flat rate because I believed that if you weren't, you're never going to be 100% efficient in the aftermarket. When I was at the right. dealer, I could be 130, 140% efficient, no problem. Because we had a parts department eight feet away and it was Chrysler. So everything was on the shelf ready to put on the car. Because step three in the Diag tree is replaced with non-good. But in when I ran my shop, that was not my mentality. I gave away a bunch of Diag and I had one of the coaches challenge me to go back and look at all the Diag I had given away while I had my shop. 
I was giving away over $150,000 a year in diet because I didn't understand what I was doing and I was too afraid to pay for a training event. I was too afraid to pay to go to an event. STX, I got invited for STX early on and I was terrified. My mind was not wrapped around what that investment brings later. It was, oh, I'm closed down. My revenue's gone for that week. So it's costing me triple to be there. And then it's going to cost me to put a tech there. And I was scared. And then I got invited. Advance Auto invited me to go to ASTE. And they said, look, we will sponsor you to ASTE. We'll pay for you to go one time. Check it out. And that was it. I was hooked. It changed everything about my business. It changed the direction that I was taking my career. And it made everything so much better because I realized that a lot of shop owners, it wasn't just me struggling with this. And I was afraid to ask the people that had the shop across the street what was going on. And now being this far into it and being in this realm that we live in now with all the trainers, everything, I sit there and I go, and I would encourage everybody, reach out to the shops around you, reach out to your state organizations, your regional organizations. People want to see you succeed. Nobody wants to see this industry fail. No, you beat me to it. You got to AST and found out you're not alone. Yeah. And they weren't 150,000. It was 300,000 or, I mean, just, or, or years and years and years of it. A lot of that anxiety kind of washes away when you're not alone. You're not the only idiot sitting there. Well, and there's, there's so much education available in every segment of our industry. There's sales training, there's diagnostic training, there's management training. Everything is available and you just have to look for the resources. And so many people are afraid to ask for the resource. And that was me. I mean, Rich has watched my entire career evolve. Rich met me when I was like, I am mechanic. I put on valve cover for cheap. (laughs) You should have seen him showing up to the classes. I mean, I was a diesel tech. I showed up and I was a different color. The seats were stained. The hotels just threw the chairs away after I left the class. I didn't know he had tattoos because both of his arms were so dark. (laughs) It was a completely different world but I was always a fleet shop because at least I understood that was the one part of business I understood because my first jobs were in fleet. And I understood that a fleet asks different questions about their vehicles. I was going over with some of the shop owners last night. My policy for doing oil changes is a little bit different. I'm sure coach is going to rip this apart, but I'll put it on here for you guys. If your vehicle comes into our shop or came into our shop, now we don't have a shop anymore. Now, keep in mind, this is a fleet. We don't do retail repair unless you work for the fleet. But if your fleet vehicle comes into the shop and you're due for an oil change, we did your oil change. We did not ask permission. We put wiper blades on your vehicle. We did not ask permission. I did all of your lights. I did not ask permission. When you came back to pick up your vehicle and everything was done and I handed you a bill, if they complained, it's all free. No worries. The service is complimentary. You were due for all of it and we didn't want to have to make you have a second trip back here. Because if that fleet vehicle is down for a day, what's a fleet vehicle lose being down for a day? A thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a day? Easy. It costs a lot for that vehicle to be down. So in that sense... If they came back and they were like, you mean I don't have to make a second appointment for it? They don't care what it costs. They were so happy to pay it because their vehicle's no longer down for a day. And I would love to hear a coach's opinion on that because I don't know how many fleet shops that they work with versus retail repair. And I would love to see if somebody implemented that in retail repair because what does it cost to get a customer in the door with flyers and to flyer and get all that? It costs you, what, four to $500 to get a customer in the door? And then they're chasing a coupon to get in your door. Right. What does it cost you to give an oil change and wiper blades and a couple taillights away for free? I bet it costs a lot less than that flyer. And so that was a way for us to attract. attract. So that, when you're talking fleets, though, are we talking like light duty, medium duty, heavy duty? Light and medium duty. When I had the shop, I got away from heavy duty because I didn't have a lift for it. I didn't want to buy the lift for it. North Carolina, are they for fairly aggressive with DOT? We didn't have guys that got popped by DOT all the time. We had some guys that ran overweight and they'd get weighed and they'd get in trouble for being overweight or, or hot shot truckers that were running overweight. But we didn't have a whole, whole lot of issues. We also didn't, don't have diesel emissions inspections. 
So a lot of the guys were running around with deleted trucks and they're trying to find somebody to service it. And it was like, look, we can service your truck. We won't do your delete, but you got to understand that our diag process is going to take four or five times as long because we don't know what they did to make your truck non-emissions compliant. So when we go to diag your truck, I don't know what sensors they skewed or what PIDs that they changed, what values they changed to make it work the way that they work. But we would try and do what we could to keep their vehicles on the road. It's probably getting out of your wheelhouse, but... Florida, Jersey, are they pretty aggressive? With You're talking two polar opposites there because <laughs> Flo- Florida's the Wild West. There's not even a safety inspection. And Jersey was like Colorado up until, I don't know the exact, but just a couple of years ago, the IM240 test, the dyno, everything. Well, so, I'm thinking even like interstate or intrastate, but usually it's interstate commerce. They have to be, there's a federal inspection. Yeah, and FMSV. Some, right. And Minnesota's fairly aggressive. Or when we were doing DOT inspections, they were fairly aggressive because he had to sticker the vehicle and that sticker is directly linked to you, the inspector. And they just didn't, you didn't want to get pulled over and inspected and find bulbs out or, of course, loose wheel lug nuts or studs. You didn't want to find bad suspension parts or anything. So like what you were saying, when we did this stuff, it was kind of just an unspoken thing. If it's bad, you did it. Even if it was not there for a DOT inspection, regular service. If you found it, you did it because they couldn't afford to get pulled over and spend 15, 20 minutes while this inspector went through your vehicle on the side of the road with a fine tooth comb and And, and finding stuff. Well, like you said, you really don't want to be the tech that passed that inspection. And that's what comes with those FMSV inspections is... It needs to be sold correctly because if you go do that whole procedure, that's a two-hour job. Yes. You're checking your brake linings. You're getting under the car. You're checking the air springs. There's a lot of stuff that you have to check for that inspection. But if they're just paper pushing it like they would a regular inspection and the front of the house doesn't know how to sell that inspection correctly, that's a nightmare for everyone involved. But if it sells correctly and it's a real inspection, it's a couple-hour job. Everybody's happy in the end. And like you said, you just do everything. Yeah, The mirrors have like big black marks in them where they kind of leaked through almost. You just replaced it. They had percentages of how much could be blocked up and big trucks weren't nearly as stringent as like school buses. School buses is pretty much anything. If it wasn't perfect, you replaced it. And now I know in North Carolina, we have a special certification for school buses and emergency view. It is a different endorsement. So when I worked for the large fleet company before I went out on my own, I was not allowed to work on the ambulances because I didn't have whatever endorsement that UNC Healthcare required to work on their ambulance, which I thought was kind of nice. It was one of the few times where it was like, hey, if you can fog glasses and hold a wrench, you still can't work on it. I got a comment about the whole fleet thing, Isaac. If you sit down and you bring a fleet into the company, no one's just going to drive by and say, hi, I'm a fleet, help me. You basically have a relationship. And in the beginning of the relationship, sitting down with them and saying, listen, we're going to follow maintenance schedules, but overall, we're going to live in the world of safety standards for your vehicle. And if we see something that's close, we're going to repair it. And that's the kind of relationship I want to have. Don't be surprised if when this vehicle came in for brakes, it got more stuff. Can we do business? I would be very interested to see how the safety standard stuff has come into play because when I was doing the fleet shop stuff, ADOS was not in fleet vehicles yet. And so I'm very interested to see because fleet vehicles get banged up. We did a lot of work for Amazon and FedEx. And if you want to talk about hourly drivers that can destroy a vehicle in less than 30,000 miles, going to be... Rental car level. Because they're driving large they're driving large vans and they've never driven a large vehicle. But I think it's fascinating with what he just said. If I don't have any ADAS calibration equipment and I'm doing fleet work and we believe that that safety standard could be compromised because of how the vehicle looks and how they drive, the fleet should be looking for a shop that can spot check ADAS, maybe. 
Probably spot check it and then also just look at position statements and understandings because you have a lot of bumper dings, door dings. Did they hit the radar? We had a full-size Ford Transit that Amazon had taken on delivery. It had 28 miles on it and they had already dinged the radar and it was just loose in the bracket. And so it kept having random emergency braking. And so Amazon called us and was like, well, what? why this vehicle has, it's randomly just slamming on the brakes while we're driving down the road. I went out there and I looked and I went, well, the radar's just bouncing around in the cavity. Like you could at least just zip tie it in place. And it work better. Like I know you guys got zip ties on hand. You uh, can then, have them but, tomorrow. But then, then Rich Falco will not calibrate. Well, so it's interesting. That was one of the ones that we did as a sublet service for the shop that does all the Amazons before Amazon built their own service facility in our area. But I'm really curious to see what is a fleet's position statement on that? What is their position statement as a company as to how they follow safety procedures? Because if it says if your bumper's been dinged, you need to recalibrate. You, know, you go look at factory position statements. How do fleets deal with that? Because that car is getting dinged every week. Really good question. Because I think like target wise, they make it easier than what we're used to in auto light duty stuff. Well, heavy duty fleet stuff is very, it's all independent systems. Yeah. Uh, you go look at the Bendix system and it's all an add-on system. Autel's created their own add-on system for blind spot. Yeah. I mean, it's in the tractor trailer world in, in 1908 and 1939, the way everything has to communicate through protocols there. It gets really interesting because it's much more open source than automotive. There's nothing proprietary. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to think like what you're saying with the transit. I don't know that I've ever seen anything set out away from regular passenger vehicles concerning ADAS. That's interesting. I'm just curious because as a, f- a fleet, you would want to have active emergency braking, right? What's yeah. the number one passenger incident that's going to happen? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's all your largest all. liability as a fleet is while your vehicle is moving on the street. And so to have all of those features, it would make sense for the fleet to have them. But then is the fleet prepared to service them properly? Is your shop prepared to service that fleet properly? And then all it takes is a radar cone. Most of these calibrations yeah. that we're going to do in the automotive space, you don't need a full frame. Yes, there are some cars that require radar and camera calibrations together. But in the fleet world, you're not servicing Honda CRVs. And you're not talking about doing the windshield camera when it's got a bumper dent. Depending on the OE's position statement, you know, some of them say, hey, if you do the radar, you have to do the camera because we want to see the same zero point calibration done. But the reality of the fleet world, I don't think that that's the vehicles that they're seeing. But I would love to see somebody that does ADOS and a hardcore and see if they go after fleets. I wonder about because I walked around SEMA this morning. There's five or six companies that are selling add on blind spot monitoring, add on ADAS systems for RVs. So I wonder about this first thing I thought when I saw that is how are we calibrating that stuff? The frame for the blind spot was just 3M double-sided tape. So it was almost like you just put it inside of a panel somewhere. Back in the day, we had add-on rear cameras, remember? Yeah. And you you figured out how to Velcro them to the back. Well, that's And when it comes down to it, with these add-on systems, are they integrated to the vehicle communication system? Probably not. Probably just just a a visual indicator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I would think double-sided tape is fine. Red lights. Is there there a way, do they give you tolerances? Do they say, here's your field of view for this radar? That's what I was wondering. Is it 135 degrees? Is it 180? Is it 90 degrees? 60 degrees? What is our focal point? Yeah. But if that information is given, you can accurately set it up and be confident in the way that you're adding it to a vehicle. As long as we read the installation manual. First thing I threw away. They don't give them anymore. You have to go online. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Scan the QR code on the radar. Here's the manual. Yeah. Man, I was so upset. I had to get a brand new stove. And I'm looking all over in the box, in the drawer. Where's the manual? And so I finally read the bottom of the invoice and it told me that I had to go online and get it. But we wanted to study how it all worked. I printed it. Stupid me. I use my paper. Bard <laughs> company. Wait, you still own a printer? Yeah, I'm old school. 
I highlighted, <laughs> circled. I mean, I see the pen and paper here now. I know, you know, yeah. it's the throwback era, right? It is. Oh, I, when I write <laughs> it's it, throwback he, Thursday. But he's upgraded. <laughs> he used to be quills and a big. <laughs> Back in the day. Had a tablet and a chisel. I bought liquid ink. <laughs> Look, I've got carrier pigeons still. It's how me and Zach McClain communicate. It's the only way I can get a message to Fort Smith, Arkansas is carrier pigeons. <laughs> It's because no one else would go there. <laughs> Walmart sorry, says, I'm Zach. sorry, we don't mail there. We only ship from there. We don't ship back to it. No returns. Rich, <laughs> you're the best listener I've ever had. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're doing more mobile. I am. Yeah. Kind of gone official the past couple of months. Yeah. So got Zach working for me. I'm trying to be as cool as Perkins. Did you get a Zach? You got your own Zach? <laughs> I got my you own still Zach. Want a Keith oh, got like, two. I grew one of my own. Keith's so. got two. From the Petri dish forward. Zach's becoming the new name, huh? It is. Yeah. Apparently every mobile shop has to have a couple. Hire a Zach. So, yep. Yeah, so. forget this rock star unicorn thing. Get a Zach. Yeah, there you go. Now the real question though, is it a K or an H Zach? It's a K. Because if you ask my Zach, he will say, I am not named Zach. My name is Zach. So Zach. it's oh, that's so Z A C K. That's it. I don't think there's a lot of Zachs with a K. No, no, it's kind of un unusual, but that's, that's what he wanted. So I'm, I'm just trying to see if this correlates time wise where their parents would watch a certain sitcom that led them to want to name their children. What sitcom? What am I missing? Oh, yeah. Saved by the Bell. Oh, yeah. Never seen oh, it. No. I don't think that's... I've ever even seen a single episode. I mean, I've definitely seen it, but that wasn't the, the main characters. I think of that. was it. I don't know if I remember that. But, yeah, I'm a Saturday but, morning cartoon guy. So if there wasn't, so a, we had, I mean, it's twins. So we were trying to think of two names that wouldn't get them beat up on the playground and something that was different. And, and we what went, did you name? We went with Zach and Tyler and little did Chrissy and I know that those were the two most popular boys names for 1998. So oh, okay. there are huh. like 50 twins they have met named Zach and Tyler. Oh, that was so, the thing. We were out in front of the studio earlier and someone was making a reference to tailoring paints and they said carm did you see the friends episode and i said i've never watched friends oh okay. somebody else thank yeah okay so here's the deal and i i think about this a lot when i tell people the shows that i did watch and i realized that there was a gap in my life that there were things going on raising kids traveling working for corporate america that you just didn't have the TV FaceTime. And I think Friends was on during that time of my life. And I could almost guess what I was doing in my life if I just looked at the TV shows <laughs> that I never saw. That was yeah. me with music because yeah, my too. my music just literally stopped at 98 for about 10 years. I just couldn't keep up with things right. with twins. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I realized, I was like, oh, there's a huge gap in my what I listen to that I have to go back and there's a whole decade of music. I, have, I, don't, I don't I have think yet techno's really changed that much. Oh, yeah, that was, it's all songs the same. With our, our marketing girl, she's really, really big into house music. I like, I like electronic music, but I hate house music. And she's just like, oh, house music is the best. And I was just sitting there last night and I was like, house music sucks, Jessica. It's okay. It's Somebody okay. heard you say that and threw something. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It sounded heavy too. I know it was meant for me then. Very metallic. Oh, this nice, across nice, your nice, own I like, nice I like both kinds of music, heavy and metal. Exactly. <laughs> you know what's one of my favorite concerts I've been to? Guar. Oh, dude. I love Guar. Yeah. Did you get the one where they dispatch Obama? Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they... Not that it was him specifically. Just seeing presidents get shredded. Oh, I mean, the Guar shows are just like, I don't care if you're into that type of shock rock or not, but if you ever get the chance to see Guar come through your town, you better take the opportunity. I think I laughed as much as I have. Any... Guar sounds like an appetizer at Ferrero's, doesn't it? I mean, oh, they, they could have like to have themselves some... after that. I, hey, I don't know. I'll have the guar done medium. Guar they... stands for something. I don't remember oh, what it I stands for. That's what I was for. just trying to think of, and I can't. All I know it. is they got together. They're just 
started out, they're all friends and they weren't very good at playing their instruments. And some would argue they're still not all that yeah, great. I would. But they would dress up in these big like space alien costumes ah. and sing just heavy everything we'll is heavy completely metal. over the top yes about their their outfits and the yep. songs and the lyrics and so. they just have this looks like a big wood chipper and they have characters people dressed up like whatever characters walk through and they run them through the wood chipper and spray their crowd with something red it's a stage production so they were all art majors that's what it all came from. I forget they went to somewhere in Virginia or something, but they went to an art college and this started as an art project in college. <laughs> My brother's really, really deep into music history stuff and he he explained it all to me. But yeah, Guar is it's all art major it's, stuff. It's, it's gotta be like Blue Man Group. I mean, crazy enough like it's, Blue Man. Uh, the obscene oh, version. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always they are shock rock. Okay. Their goal is yeah. to shock you. And it's, not with orange wires. It's Alice Cooper on steroids. Yeah, yeah Alice Cooper way, is but, tame. Yeah. I saw a really good well, Alice Cooper on Fremont the other night. I was really I, Dude did a perfect Alice Cooper, like yeah. an early 90s Alice Cooper. Yeah, I think it was when I was walking back from the, uh, in the casino oh, okay. to, to come meet right. back with you guys. But it was, I was impressed. I stopped the guy and I was like, dude, that's a well done Alice Cooper. <laughs> Didn't Alice Cooper come out in the 70s? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah early 70s even. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. kind of the first of his kind that I can think of. I mean, maybe a little bit, but not to that degree. Cooper was before us. Co Cooper took another notch. And I, I think Alice Cooper did that intentionally. <laughs> she must have looked yeah, up Guar. The look on her face. Oh my God. That is what they wanted you to say. They did their job. Yes, that's, <laughs> that was the appropriate response. They're almost like Masters of the Universe characters. Yeah. Oh yeah. That he mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to start sending Car music video links. Oh, Dude, no. I've done that and I don't know if he listens to no, I, I have to watch the TV shows you tell me to watch. <laughs> I've sent you Kill Switch Engage and Slipknot and Mushroom well, Head. And I probably oh, you're was, sending him new Metal? I thought I, you were better I, friends with him. Than I, was, <laughs> I was traveling. That's my boy, Isaac. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like Cannibal Corpse. And I was like, all right, Working now we're up. talking. No, that's coming. <laughs> I didn't bring my Bluetooth headset. Hammer Smash is coming. Oh, no. My favorite band in high school was Fear. Oh, yeah. Leaving. Yeah. The band that got punk rock banned from SNL. Because <laughs> he was buddies with, uh, was it John Belushi? And so John Belushi got, got him on, on Saturday Night Live for a Halloween show. And they got like Ian McKay and all the hardcore guys there. And they started a mosh pit in SNL. And SNL was like, no punk rock ever again. This Man. was a terrible decision. We regret this instantly. We're going to cut it off in the middle of a set. Well, you know, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers was in... Fear, too. That was one of his first bands. I think I knew that, but I'm familiar with Fear. I love Fear. Lee Ving's voice just, it gets me pumped every day. And they're on tour again. You know who's at the Sphere? You two? If you it was any other band, I would have paid to see a live yeah. show while I was <laughs> pretty tamed stuff. Compared to what you like, you're in the gutter musically, huh? Oh, I'm oh. in the gutter mentally and musically. <laughs> wow. I where, am still an automotive technician. Where, where are you generating this intelligence? <laughs> Let me see. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can produce studies that show if you want to do better on a test. You're better off listening to metal than you are classic. This is backed up. Not, you my, think not when I went to school. <laughs> you think I'm sar sarcastic, but I can do it. It's true. Test scores go up to people that listen to heavy metal before taking an exam than they do from classical and countries like the worst, which makes perfect Wait, sense. What, does, it, what does heavy metal do? Flush the bad cells? It only, it only creams up the stuff that you're supposed to know? I guess. I think there's just more going on than you realize. Next He's time I do it. an episode yes. that I have to super well, prepare for. I'll listen to metal. There you, there you go. I huh? talked to Tracy about you and I going through like a musical history and introducing uh, you and start you out, I don't know, something light like Slayer. 
<laughs> we'll, that we'll get up. Sound good. Yeah, that we'll was get my first like concert. Death. Was it the God Hates Us All tour? Just straight. It was Slayer and uh, oh man, I can't remember who opened for him. But I was like 12, 13 years old. It was okay. freshman year of high school. Somehow my parents were like, "Oh yeah, Slayer's great." My parents were really into music, so but it wasn't here. like the Big Four or the Four Horsemen. Right? No, it was it was they were playing at a small venue, right. and I got in my oh. first mosh pit, and a big dude knocked me over. Another guy grabbed me. This little Hispanic guy, probably five two, five three had assassin tattooed shoulder to shoulder in four inch tall old English letters. And he was like, no, I mean, I'm going to teach you to mosh today. And then that was it. I was hooked forever. I missed something. We were probably raising Tracy and I never, ever mosh. Oh, it's great. And, and I, you haven't lived. Don't really, start now. Really. <laughs> I hope you have your chiropractor mobile in a Sprinter van outside. <laughs> oh my God, what an idea. What an idea. You, you guys Global know diag and chiropractic. Yes. Think about the text that need that knee in the back and the shoulders pulled back. Yeah, Why well, not? I yeah. think there's some shop that hires a chiropractor once a month for their guys. Right. Sure. I swear. We I saw send the our shop guys to a chiropractor. Wait a minute. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. You have your separate diag vans, but you also have the Kyo van <laughs> as a subset of your business and you're out selling. Hey, you look pretty damn bad. You're slouching, honey. Come on. Let me send the van over later. Yeah. And your van follows up, charges even more than you do. I, I'm telling you, <laughs> this is not a bad business venture because I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on chiropractic. They're looking at all this x-rays and whatnot. They just do the same adjustments over and over. Well, that's funny. So I was with Pete Orlando and we were after a class and we went to go look at a shop. During the day, Peter was just like, hey, I'm going to be at a shop like 10 miles from your house. You want to come meet me? He's like, yeah. So we go and the guy's got a lifted Toyota Tundra. And we are coming back from lunch and I hop out of the Toyota Tundra. My foot landed on a fairly large rock. And the bones that are right here mm -hmm. in your foot, they went up like this. They're not supposed to go oh. up when you walk. So and it was painful. I didn't think anything of it that day. The next day I went to get out of bed and I stepped on that foot first and it almost put me on the ground. And I went to the doctor. The doctor said, we're going to have to do surgery. And I was like, you're going to have to cut my foot open because I stepped on a rock. Oh man, this is not good. So then I went to the chiropractor. It took eight, nine, 10 visits. He saved me the surgery and it was probably less than the first appointment for a surgery. Wow. I bet you the surgery was the quick repair. When I broke my foot, the doctor went, I can have you walking in a week if we do surgery or you're going to be in a cast for 12 weeks. And I went, I'll take the cast. That's the day before I started teaching for CTI. I broke my right foot. All so. they did is went in and zip tied it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever watched some of these oral surgeries or other surgeries yes. where they're running screws and stuff in? And I'm looking at that and I'm going, yo, if we that. treated your car like that, you would flip out. Yeah. But you're letting them do that to your body. Well, they're knocked Freaking out. Hips, they don't know. Hip surgery. Like when they're yeah. pounding that hip in. Holy. Yeah. Holy no, moly. No, Why don't they have an air hammer? They just drive that thing right in. No, mm -hmm. they're just swinging that little mallet that's not big enough. So they Why got the they... wrong size hammer for the job anyways. They're just wailing away. You're going to be really sore, wailing away. I'm sure Ingersoll Rand has something. Yeah. The Ingersoll Rand Surgical Division. The business for, opportunity. Oh, absolutely. I went to school for mechatronics before I dropped out to go to the auto diesel college. And uh, a bunch of the guys went to school for mechatronics, but they all ended up in the biomedical field. I kind of laughed and I went, boy, our fields could cross and create some pretty good tooling. Lyle could make some really good <laughs> surgery. And there's a commission on Lyle. They give you a cut if you create a tool. So maybe Lyle Surgical Division is on the brow. Great. Now we got doctors walking through Harbor Freight. <laughs> we have Dorman build the parts, Lyle, yeah. the special tools. You remember the thing in Duke, like mid 2000s, where they accidentally washed a bunch of surgical equipment and hydraulic fluid? Oh, it was a big deal. But then you go talk uh, to doctors and they're like, we lose 10 millimeter sockets, right? 
They do too. Oh, they just yes, leave they it do. in your body. I never woke up and had a 10 millimeter socket in my body. I mean, Richard, you've been so quiet. It's like, I want to toss you a softball. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have one. You just want to. I mean, we've been talking for a little I let, while. I let, I let Isaac We went from hybrids. Let me ask him then. something. We talked, funny is he only had one person in his class this today, right? What was your topic? Did we talk about that? We did a little bit at the beginning. I taught two classes. I taught an intro to hybrid battery electric vehicle service yesterday, yeah. and I taught my phone app class today. What does it take to build the class case studies, and are you constantly updating? Yeah, just about every class these days has to be updated. It takes a lot. I can't speak for everybody, but on the CTI side, we don't have the ability to just cut and paste service information into a book. We don't have the rights to use that. So if we're going to build a class and we're going to show a repair technique or a testing technique, we have to do it ourselves. We have to, to build it and prove it can work. And with teaching for CTI, a lot of times I'm teaching classes that somebody else wrote and I don't want to teach something I've never done before. So a lot of the tools I bought early on with CTI was to go out and do in-cylinder testing and do some of the scoping and stuff that I just didn't do on a regular basis. So it takes a lot of work. You know what I imagine in the job that you have, in the classes that you have, you're always integrating the job you're doing and how can it reflect back to the class? Oh, yeah, yeah. Always looking for taking pictures or screenshots. But think about what happens with trainers, and this just hit me, you're involved in something heavy you've never seen before, and you say to yourself, ooh, this could be a great class. Does that happen? All the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. That's why I just bought two brick Teslas. Oh, really? Oh, yes. unbrick them, huh? We're going to find out. Unbrick them. Oh, what? A so you had those other things earlier, the RTFM. I live in FAFO. F-A-F-O. Okay, I understand that. When we talk about high voltage stuff and experimenting with these vehicles, replacing modules and anything, you have to live in F-A-F-O. That is a, an entire segment of automotive that's coming out. Nobody yeah. has a manual and has written a manual on how you're going to hack a battery back together because nobody wants to stand behind that manual. You're going to have to tell them what it stands for. Play around and find out. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Mine's different. It's like fix it on the fly. Ah, yes. Well, that's the mobile guy life. Yeah, or make it up as I go. I'll do that. Yeah, but that's a lot. Think about the stuff you bump into and you have confidence that you could fix it, but you've never done it before. Oh, that's every day. See? That's yeah. every day. Learn. I need to learn how this works so that I can know how to fix but it. But how many times do you bump into a, you go into a shop, they've called you in and you've done it before and it's the old, the carpenter knows where to put the nail in the squeaky floor. So the bill is this much and they say, how come it's this much? Well, the nail was only a dollar, but it was $99 because I knew where to put it. And so if you guys go in and you realize that the fix is 15 minutes, but you really need to be paid for who you are, what you have invested, do you give a bill for two hours worth of work? Yeah, because they go and sit 15? and check their email for an hour. <laughs> right. I see yeah. how that works. Oracle play Call of Duty. <laughs> there's a certain someone in Florida. <laughs> in a mobile situation, we just have a minimum fee. And that's what it costs for us to show up at the shop. The minimum fee for us to show up at the shop is, it's reasonable. If you have not thrown wrong parts at the vehicle already, there's plenty of meat left on the bone. If you're calling us as a cleanup crew, then there's no meat left on the bone and we're just there to help you bail out and save face and save the relationship with the customer. But if you've structured your, again, it's all about business structure, right? If you've structured your business properly, you know what a diag costs, and your front of the house has sold it to the customer, the mobile guy is extremely profitable to bring in because yeah. your other guys, how much money does your guy make putting on brakes for the shop? You know, he can do two brake jobs in the time that we can do a diag. I promise it was way more profitable to have him do brakes than to lose a half a day 
trying to do a diag that would take a mobile guy an hour because he has to learn a new system just to do that diag. My guy, Zach, is new to this industry and sometimes I'm walking him through things on the phone and sometimes it is just finding the fuse. I've had Zach say to me, I'm here at the Chrysler dealer and they've got a tailgate that doesn't work and I found a blown fuse in this Chrysler Pacifica. He's like, I'm five minutes in and I'm like, okay, we get a diag fee. And he goes, I'm five minutes in. And I was like, Zach, you have solved their problem. Right. The price sort of doesn't matter at this point because you go to that service manager and you go, hey, it's all fixed. It was just a blown fuse or missing ground. And in many cases, that car has been there for three or four days or weeks and he doesn't care. How much is it? Oh, done here. Thank you very much. It's fixed. Great. It has to be said and it gets said all the time. I know I've said it. I know you guys have said it over and over. Uh, it's going to be white noise again, or it's coming from me. So it'll be like brown noise, but <laughs> these complex issues that we're figuring out on the fly or making up as we go or whatever, it's a sound understanding of fundamentals. That's what it's all about. Why do they find this issue? Even if it's a blown fuse or a missing fuse or a misplaced fuse, it's the discipline to go to surface information and print the right information or have it pulled up on your tablet or even or just find Yep. The right information. Or go find the skill. owner's manual that's got the best freaking diagram yes. <laughs> for the freaking power distribution center and figuring out the problem. Or if it's something very complex with a communication bus, something like that. It still came back to sitting at nine o'clock at night in a Richard Falco class about analyzing the physical layer of a network that led me to the diagnosis. But we say that over and over again. And yet it's still a continued issue that mobile guys live off. I mean, it literally is a daily occurrence of this was such a simple, basic, straightforward, short, open, simple, basic electrical right. failure okay. that a good solid, as Matt said, a good solid foundation should have found very, very quickly. So you taught Zach to understand how this works. It was literally the first thing that he learned was okay. electrical. Question that I have for you, which I found fascinating that you hired an individual that's not from the industry. Yes. Well, and there has to be a reason for that. It's only Zach he could find. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's two really good reasons for that. And I owned a shop for a long time. And one of the toughest things in hiring new guys when I had the shop was breaking them of all of their bad habits. And one of the things I used to have to say to all of my new guys is they didn't get it at first. I was, don't come to me with problems. Just come to me with what the solution is. Don't come to me and say, hey, some other guy broke this and now it's broken. Just come to me and say, this is broken. The parts available, we can have it this afternoon. When guys got over that they weren't going to get blamed for something, it, it took a long time for them to overcome that. Um, a lot of fans of Rich Falco. Yeah, they're all. <laughs> that, that whole group is, they're giving away the car in Bay 10 over there. It's we, definitely we, not for we've me. We've done some episodes here about that. But wow, this was great. Thanks for uh, bumping into these guys. Well, look, I want to say one thing before we end, because we've talked about oh, sublet wait, services. I have, to, I have to give my second reason. Oh yeah, <laughs> real quick. The the first reason is if I get a guy loved your if I get a guy that isn't in this, this industry, I don't have to. Okay. I don't. <laughs> you just have to hint at the second reason in their club. <laughs> I don't have to break him of his bad habits. And number two is he's family. It's one of the twins. Oh oh. So my son, my I, son. That's why I said I grew my own. We have. <laughs> I said have, from the petri dish forward. Yes, we have lineage. Yes, yes. Okay. So I did everything I could to keep him out of this business, and he's here anyway. But uh, it's but, like, hey, Dad, I fixed this in five. You want to be paid, Zach? Exactly. And the one I have to 
catch myself because he always is like, hey, dad. And I'm like, that's fine on the phone. But when we're in a shop, don't go, hey, dad, you're a different Zach and you're fixing the problem. Say, sir. <laughs> yes. Well, the one thing that I want to say is that like, as we sit here and we talk about Diag techs and mobile techs and all the great things that we can do, not everybody needs this skill set. You have to leverage all the skill sets in the shop and create a fine balance because I don't want to beat up on guys that are R&R guys. R&R guys make the money in this industry. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of B and C techs that made a great living in this business and had no desire whatsoever to be the guy who busts out the scope or does the diag. Just give me the parts to hang and, and everything will be fine. And, and this industry needs those people. And those people are the people that keep the vehicles on the road. We fix, what, 1% of the weird issues? We just push know. buttons. Yeah. So I would, I would encourage people to still pursue it. If you want to be the best R&R guy and the best engine builder, do it. You know, internal combustion is not going away. <laughs> not for a while. Not for a while. Well, I uh, really thank you guys for uh, pausing your... Uh, pursuit of more equipment, finding the new shiny thing to come in here and talk to us for a little while. You just dragged me out of the casino. I don't know what you're talking about, this tools and equipment stuff. Well, <laughs> were you winning or did I see I've done you? good so far. I'll just really? leave it at that. Yeah. Oh. Which means I have to now go buy some more tools and equipment. <laughs> I thought you were saving him money. <laughs> Usually the case. Look, PayPal is sales at autorescuetools.com. We got whatever you need. No problem. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Napa Auto Tech Training for sponsoring and thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for really making this all possible. Thank you to Tracy for cleaning this all up. Hopefully you don't yeah, edit she's out. She's got the toughest job of the whole thing. That's what she says. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't edit out the applause you were getting for reasons. <laughs> that, would, that would be terrible. So if you want to be on the podcast or have any ideas, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm pretty easy to find on social media. Just ask the hackers. You can also email me at mattfonslowpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.